Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Controversial subjects with the facts can be tense, but we are a sub-science here to make things make sense. Today, we are talking about sleep paralysis and night terrors. It's spooky season. Halloween's about to come up. So we have an expert from Harvard coming on to teach us a bunch about what's actually going on in the body and brain and how we can think about it in terms of our overall life and how we interact with dreams. It's a really cool interview. I'm excited for you. Greg hasn't even heard it. Yet. I haven't even heard it. <laughs> but uh, I haven't even I heard, heard it. You and you and this doctor had a little intimate session. Yes, and it was kind of like a little bit of a not therapy, but because I have so many weird like <laughs> night terrors and stuff, I was like, okay, I need answers. So I'm excited for everyone to find out how messed up my brain is. <laughs> Are you ready for Halloween? Yes. Okay. So this is what my costume is. I need to tell everyone because I've told people and. <laughs> And I've either gotten like LOL fun or people going, what does that mean? <laughs> so I want to be Fergie doing front flips on the Today Show. So I guess you should all know no. what this is, which is this like Fergie was once on the Today Show and she does one handed front flips and she goes. And it's also a TikTok sound, one of You're our most viral to, TikTok sounds. Um, it's one of the most or our most? It's our most viral. For what was the thing again? So I, the, when I did the thing about hunter-gatherers. And I like, uh, okay. I, the, anyways, yes. go on our TikTok to see it. But that I used that sound. Yeah. Uh, many people maybe didn't realize it was Fergie doing No, it's flips. hilarious. If you've not, if you've heard so the sound and not funny. seen the clip, she's literally performing and decides to just do flips while she's singing. <laughs> I'd say it's funnier than when she pissed herself on stage and funnier than when she did the national anthem. <laughs> so this it's is my top, Fergie, top moment. Fergie moment. <laughs> and so what and I'm going to do is like put her pink sweater on my legs and then like put like her bracelet around my ankles and then oh put my. shoes on my hands, wear leather pants <laughs> as my shirt so that it's an God. upside down Fergie. You have a wig hang from my crotch Fergie upside down maybe a little cardboard that says whoa, whoa. yeah that's really and hope good. to goodness people get it while I'm surrounded by like gay men who are dressed up as like a hot tiger or something <laughs> no people should get that I mean I know there were a couple of our friends who were like what is that you sent a screenshot and then that's what I mean some but then the like, other half were like this is genius yeah, yeah okay so <laughs> and I feel like especially the younger generation that's well I did dress up once as ballet that the Jesse from Little Mix still popular today saying <laughs> Like that when she was asked to do a Jamaican accent, <laughs> and that was another night of people going, "Who the hell are you?" And then even when I said like that, like them having no idea, and then other people that, being like, "That's fine." Yeah, that's that's that my life. You don't use the internet. Yeah, it's one thing to not necessarily know the costume on site because it's not like you looked so much like her. But when you said <laughs> the phrase <laughs> and you had it written on the cardboard or something, it's so like, funny to think like we can talk about like NADH and FADH and like complex science things, and we can also talk about these things. And for sure, people are like, "What are they?" 
I talk about. <laughs> Sounds like we're using <laughs> another language. All right, what are you going to be? Um, so, well, your first idea for me was Jeff Probst, and it was like, uh, yeah, I could. that's a pretty easy outfit. I could get um, taped to make myself have plastic surgery. Botox. You know, yeah. yeah, Botox. I love it. Um, I love that. Obviously, that's my idea, so I love it. Uh, and so, and Greg knows <laughs> that I have a lot of anxiety around Halloween costumes because I never plan enough, so the day comes, and I'm like, I don't have anything. I'm not going out. And then I storm off, and I'm like crying, and he has to help me. But you also <laughs> have an interesting, like, my my parents and my mom was always like, would make every make it into a craft and it was yeah. it was like a joyous occasion yeah but you're good at planning ahead so that's what i mean it's, it's like it's like a planning yours, ahead it's a fun thing i start to get the ideas when i finally like when it comes it's gonna be friday you know the weekend and then it's saturday is gonna be like halloween party time and sunday's actually halloween yeah. I would then start thinking about it, but then get overwhelmed because I'm like, I should have thought of this a week ago. But I okay, never so can think ahead. Here of we are ahead. Here what we are. Be? Well, Jeff I, Probst is great. I know it is, but then I remembered I have this like awesome muscle suit I only ever once used for a video, and I just thought, okay, like I could look, you know, jacked in a muscle suit, <laughs> and I just thought like there's a character from Attack on Titan, which is an anime that I like that literally is just like a muscle demon. So, so I was be like, that. maybe that's what I'm gonna be. Yeah, he's on the prowl for some dick. Then no, I no, I just I was like, I don't know. It's just like it at least is a full body muscle suit. So then so, why are you so? Because Jeff Probes could also. Everyone's just gonna be like. Well, I guess if I had like a survivor hat or something, but trucker hat you have a survivor on, and that's the craft part. You make the little thing, you just tape it on. Yeah, I don't have time for that. You literally do. <laughs> okay, question. Yes. So if you're doing Attack on Titan, you should commit right now, and you should start planning it. Right. I don't know. I was trying to think of like this is what, what your else issue is. I is I then do? you're like, then you're gonna get closer to the day. And you're gonna be like, well, which one is it? And you're gonna be like, just I, decide. I want to do that. Yeah, do I, it. I, but the only thing I feel bad about is it's because I have a full muscle suit. It's like I don't have to do that much other than. But that's your that whole on. point. You don't want to do that much. Yeah, I guess I just still get insecure about like not being creative enough or funny because you love to be funny. That's like the thing. And I'm like, okay, mine's not funny. But also, I know so many people are just like a cute cat or whatever yeah <laughs> like no one cares so just commit to titan and then what else do you have to do nothing unless i decide to paint my face which i don't really want to have to do oh you have to paint your face oh you think i have to well or else there's gonna be a muscle suit exactly with the normal face See, now you've turned on me no i haven't turned on you i'm saying it's <laughs> halloween girl like paint your face that's so fun you love painting your face i guess it's just not so much work and i don't know i've never painted my face like that but like it's okay demon. if it doesn't if it, just make it look like a demon. It's gonna it's not gonna be that hard. You just put a bunch of red and white on your face. Maybe. This is a lot of work. And then you come home and you're drunk and then you have to wash your face like crazy. It's Halloween. <laughs> you don't want the earth fuzzy. Well, fun. you're not painting your face, are you? No, I'm putting a I have a black toque, so whenever the camera comes, I tuck my head. I got a perfect little turtleneck. So I pull <laughs> oh it up so that my head disappears See, into just, her crotch. You told Oh my god. You told me you want it to be easy for me, and now you're telling me I can't just wear the bodysuit. No, suit. you can just wear the bodysuit, <laughs> but then you can't say I'm attack of the titan because people are gonna be like, You're in a bodysuit. Like I assume if he's a See, demon. you see, you have expectations. Fine, you can just wear the bodysuit and you can say you're talking titan you're right i'm just trying to like have some fun because we do have all day on saturday to prep yeah and okay. you love to do i just face know paint. i'll panic i do but i know i'll panic when i do a whole face and i'm like i hate it and then i'm gonna wash it off and i'm gonna restart and then i'm gonna be like i hate it again and then i'm gonna it's gonna be 9 p.m and i'm like i can't go out <laughs> i'm so surprised you didn't just commit to chef probes you could get no, because that. that's so easy yeah but it was also like I don't know, kind of basic. And because I love Survivor so much, I just feel like everyone... And it also is just a t-shirt and pants. Like, it's not that recognizable. And a hookah shell necklace, a Survivor thing, and the tape on your face is funny. But is that really going to stick all night? 
Yeah, or you just carry a little thing of tape around so whenever the, the cameras come, you pull, 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 take the photo. Oh, my God. Anyways, I've given you lots of great ideas. So if we find out next week <laughs> it was a horrible night where Mitch out so much. freaked out again, then we now know that. I don't freak out. I just like don't want to underwhelm and you're making me feel like my outfit's going to underwhelm unless it's your idea now. No, it's only going to underwhelm <laughs> if you just wear a muscle suit and say you're talking to Titan. Okay, we need to get away from this. Okay, <laughs> well, let's go talk about some science stuff. Oh, what did we learn this week? What did you learn? So I was reading about this entomologist who's VVV old. That's not really necessary to say, but like, yeah, there's a book being written about him because like alive old yeah. or dead old? No, alive. Oh, okay, old. I didn't know if you meant like from two <laughs> years be dead ago. Old? Yeah, I guess. Oh, for sure. Old could old. mean that you're yeah. a scientist that is not alive. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. True story. <laughs> he is alive. He's old, and they finally, finally, they wrote a they finally wrote a book about him. <laughs> wrote a book about his life, and he has an interesting story. Like he was obsessed with insects and like as a kid decided oh i'm just gonna go into my shed and just look and describe the ants that i find in my shed and then he found like a fire ant that was like supposed to be in brazil and was like the first time it was ever found in america and they were like okay whoa like he literally discovered that this like invasive ant had Had come to america and he was a teenager was his claim to and it's like of course if that if you have that experience you have to become an entomologist (laughs) like that's insane oh he wasn't even at that time he was a teenager who was interested in insects and was like i'm just gonna do this project and And then he was like this doesn't "Um, belong that doesn't belong here and then america (laughs) was like um thanks for telling us and then the ants literally took over and so the ants are called solenopsis sinvicta and they're a type of fire ant. What um accent did you think you were putting on? <laughs> no, <I don't> know. <laughs> I'll tell you what it sounded like. Greta? It sounded like Icelandic. So yeah. I guess like not so far from. Yeah. Okay, good. I can't like cancel me closer on that to one. Get the whitest place ever. Okay, thank <laughs> God. But these specific, they're like red ants. They're not like the red ants that I remember growing up with that would bite. And they mm. were actually natural to the ponds near my home in Toronto. But these ones really started to take over uh, in America. And they can kill birds sea turtles and even baby deer because the mounds that they make are these like really sort of like stiff dense mounds that when something touches it with force the the colony panics mm. and and then like hundreds or thousands of them it's like did you say baby deer baby deer can kill because almost more or less like instantaneously thousands of them leave the colony and then they just attack the intruder and it happened to him like once and it was like he said it was like kerosene being poured on his arm and lit on fire it was like the most intense and then they like spread all over america and like the like back in like the 90s and 80s they were like we need to get rid of them and they sprayed all these pesticides that killed so many natural ants and so many birds and the the fire ants were like fine (laughs) anyways it's like a it's a it was just an interesting story about like wow oh i want to like i don't want to be near those but i'm so curious to look them up yeah i want to see someone like touch them (laughs) and see them like brave wilderness on youtube oh true actually they've They've definitely done that that. (laughs) yeah like Sorry, we don't watch that channel, but like we know lots of people do. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, okay. I learned about something about intermittent fasting that I thought was really cool. So, intimate. Oh, intermittent. No. <laughs> so in- I'm like, in- intimate fasting. fasting. You look, you light a candle, look into the eyes of your lover, and you don't <laughs> and eat. eat. No, 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 you eat air. It's actually like, you know, the movie Hook, which Greg only saw as an adult. 
Have you seen it or have you not? I have, and I was like, this movie sucks. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. I know, but I do uh, but think there's it's because you were There's a, a part where they're imagining eating food. Yeah, I love that part. That was the best part of the food That's fight. That's intimate fasting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then they imagine the real stuff. Anyway, intermittent fasting. There was a new study that came out, and I want to give a disclaimer ahead of time because I know there's like some controversy around fad diets and even though there is research to support some health benefits from intermittent fasting and i read a whole book on aging that talks about its importance i know like these kinds of health habits can be controversial because in some ways it's like just not eating. yeah it's right? like yeah so i don't want to necessarily be promoting this and this was in mice so obviously not yet applicable <laughs> to humans um but basically the study was trying to, so there's been a lot of studies around intermittent fasting and ex, um, extended lifespan in particular, but they wanted to figure out, is it the amount of food that the animal is eating or is it the time that they're eating it? So mm -hmm. they basically had a control group and then they had a group that ate 30% less calories and a group that ate 30% less calories, but only in like one uh, small time frame and then 21 hours without food. So they Whoa. ate the same amount of food, but that first minimal calorie group was like allowed to eat it all day. Does that make sense? Yeah, one's like just snack. not intermittent fasting. And exactly, but yeah. same amount of food on a calorie deficit. Huh. So the mice who fasted, even though they were on the same amount, lived about half a year longer, which obviously in mice terms is like quite a lot of time. Um, and weirdly, the calorie restriction group actually lived shorter than the control group even, who ate more. Uh, so it was interesting that in mice imposing fasting period, like forcing, even if it's the same amount of food to be in a smaller window and then going without food for a longer time, uh, found like there to be benefits. Um, Whereas the ones who just ate less whenever they wanted, there was no benefit. They correct. They died earlier. They died earlier. Yeah. Oh, that goes against um, these all the other, like other research about like lack of calories making you live longer. Right. Um, potentially, but now maybe they're realizing it might, at least in mice, be tied to, like, if you have lack of calories, maybe you're eating less meals and not, mm. like, not spreading the same amount over, like, a bunch of time in the mm. day. You know what I mean? Um, and, but I mean, it wasn't just longevity. They were measuring health. So they said the mice who were fasted had, or their bodies were better able to regulate their blood sugar and better adapt their metabolism to different demands during the course of the day. So it's just an intermittent fasting benefit study. Yeah, and I in thought that's interesting. It reminded me in university, and I don't remember specifically like all the terms, but one of our nutrition professors had explained at the time, like, you know, humans, at least evolutionarily, would have gone through many different stages of hunger. So there's like being full at the top, and then there's being an actual starvation at the bottom, and like going through levels of those when after catching food or having a lot of food and being able to eat a lot being full but then humans would have naturally also gone through times of less food or mm. having to wait till the next big catch and so it was like go i remember at the time him sort of describing like it's not unnatural you obviously don't want to go into starvation mode but to go through like the cycles of like hunger and then like fasting is actually what your body and is intermittent fasting is so funny because it's like yeah i read all the science and i'm like Cool, 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 cool. And then I'm like, <laughs> I do it sometimes, but only because I'm not like a huge, huge breakfast person. So like sometimes I just accidentally end up but like, 21 hours of not. That's eating true. Most people wild. like the common intermittent fasting for humans 
is 16 hours. So most people will eat between like, I think it's 12 to six or 12 to eight or something like that. I can't calculate that fast enough right now. Um, and then they fast for like 16 hours. Yeah. Which intense. to me it is, but it's like, I, I think probably if you do it regularly, you get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I think it can easily fall into like disordered eating as well. Yeah. Where you're just like probably pushing yourself and being like, huh, maybe I'll add two more hours without food. And like, I don't know. Like perhaps there are benefits, but there's probably also like pitfalls of that as well. So this is an and advice. Then, it's just a cool study. <laughs> and then you get sleep paralysis because you're freaking fucking. Yeah. Up. Speaking of which, shall we get into the interview? I'm so excited to listen, like everyone else. Uh-huh. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. All right, so I am here with Dr. Belangelal, who is a famed neuroscientist. He's a researcher at Harvard. He studies sleep. He studies sleep paralysis, something that I'm so fascinated by and have had a lot of experiences with. People who listen to this pod know I have a lot of weird dreaming things that I'm very curious to pick his brain about. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. My pleasure, and thanks for the generous introduction. Absolutely. Um, I'm first so curious, and I'm sure you get this question on everywhere you go, but I am curious, how do you get into this field of work? How did you get into studying sleep paralysis in particular? Um, I, I just want to know how, how you go from being a kid to being like, yes, I'm going to study this thing that some people are terrified of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a great question. And I mean, for me, I guess it sort of started with my... Um, curiosity about the brain and psychology and like, you know, why we do what we do as humans and things like that. Actually, if you go back to school, I was really, really, I got really poor grades in high school, wasn't a really good kid back then. And, uh, you know, in terms of grades and school and stuff, but then, uh, yeah, I got curious about the brain and psychology and behavior and things like that. But what really got me into psych, uh, like sleep paralysis and stuff was my own sleep paralysis episode. So one morning I was lying in bed, seemingly sleeping, but then I felt something's on my pre- you know, chest, pressing on my chest. And you know, I got terrified and I realized, my God, am I awake or am I sleeping? What's going on? And I could sort of see the room around me. And I realized I'm, I'm awake, but I'm physically unable to move. I'm paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So I tried to scream like, Mom, Dad, you know, <laughs> but I couldn't. <laughs> And, uh, you know, soon I realized, oh, this, there might be, it feel like there's some demonic creature in my room. I saw it felt very like evil, vicious. Uh, and then I saw my legs flying up and down. 
it was a really terrifying experience oh that I gosh. had. And so from there, you know, I, I was really like the next day. So, you know, what do I do? And so with my track record in school, not, you know, being the the, the black sheep in the family, I couldn't like go tell my parents, you know, <laughs> well, Mom, I, there was a ghost here, you know, what do I do? Go tell my friends, you know, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. I go tell my friends, look, I saw a ghost. I think I'm a, I was crazy. So it was really weird. And it was the old, early days of Google. So I Googled a little bit, but you know, what do I Google? Like I saw a ghost. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just assume, yeah, there was a demon in my room. <laughs> it was a demon. And, and the thing about it, you know, what made it really striking was that it felt very real. Like, you know, this conversation that you and I are having right now, like, mm-hmm. it feels real. And that was the same thing. And it felt so you know, compelling. And, and so from there, you know, I, I, I just got curious and I realized, well, later on, there's something called sleep paralysis. And, you know, it's, it's this condition where you're paralyzed, unable to move or speak. Uh, so you're kind of sleeping, but at the same time, your mind is awake and stuff like that. And and, and so I had to study it. And, and I had this shift around, you know, uh, right after high school, where I sort of got really curious about, you know, as I said, about the brain and psychology and things. And I just went all in and, and I, got, I was really passionate about science at that time. Everything changed. You know, when you when you study something out of passion and curiosity, you just it's just different than when you have to study it in school and stuff. Totally. So, yeah, that, so then it just drove you to con- continue studying it. Yeah, yeah. You just studied on your own and you just get books and you read and you write and you want to do research and stuff. So yeah, it was, it was incredible. That's so cool. Also, really, I'm curious because my first experience with sleep paralysis was so similar. And I feel like when I looked it up online at that age or shortly thereafter, I found similar stories. Like that same idea of waking up feeling like you can't move, but you're in your room and you know everything feels normal at first, but then having a sort of presence. And in my version, I had seen someone standing at the end of my bed who then came to like sit on me and then I was trying to scream. The same exact story. Is that sort of the typical thing? Because I feel like there's even artworks from hundreds of years ago that kind of represent this demon sitting on people's chests at night. That's exactly right. I mean, it have, does have this, you know, certain, uh, the fabric of the experience does sort of cut across cultures and things like that where people will see the same thing in terms of like this shadow pressing on your chest coming from the corner or hearing footsteps you know so all of these things uh, does have this it's very robust all around the world but then at the same time there's a cultural layer too meaning that you know depending on where you live in the world and our research has shown that you know you can add additional details to it so in italy you might see a shadow like being it's usually faceless but then it can also be a witch like an evil witch or like a you know a cat-like creature so we found that and in, in egypt people will talk about like the evil genies of aladdin so so it does so it's interesting it has that layer of like uh you know shadow like creatures mm-hmm. beings footsteps pressure on the chest you know uh you feel like something is holding you down and things like that that is all there but then you have additional cultural uh details and, and we do explain that in terms of the brain you know we can we can you know try to make sense of why that's going on so so yeah it's it's quite interesting it's so fascinating i'm curious in the first place how do you go about studying this because obviously at least my anecdotal experience is that they happen intermittently at random times seemingly to me so how do you yeah. get people potentially in a lab to have a, an experience like this or is it like, is it self-reported or what's the way that you're able to actually study what's happening? 
Exactly, it's a great question. So in terms of sleep paralysis, uh, it is self-reported. So what we've done is extensive research on people, just interviewing them, asking them. And this is usually what you do when you study. Well, with dreams, you can you, you still sometimes wake people up with dreams and things like that. But it's it's this uh, when it comes to things like uh, you know with subjective experiences, it's it's usually done by doing these interviews and things like that. Uh, so yeah, it's intensive interviews with people, asking them what they see, what they experience. Uh, and then looking at symptoms and trying to make sense of it in terms of the known neuroscience and uh, come up with hypotheses and 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 yeah. So would you it. in your dream world would you be able to get a brain scan of somebody while they're in the midst of one of these experiences? Like, do you think that would ever be possible with future tech that maybe is less invasive that somebody could? have it recording them each night and then who knows when they have it, you might be able to get some like body measurements as well. Yeah, that'd be interesting. So there's done, there's been done EEG, like EEG meaning there's been looked at brain waves simply to see what the brain state is like. Uh, that's of course different from like imaging and things like that. But, and it's, and it does show you that sleep paralysis is really this condition where uh, the person finds himself at the borderline, you know, that the interface between sleep and wakefulness. So you have elements of wakefulness there and you have elements of, of, of the dream world, uh, you know, REM paralysis sort of, uh, you know, wrestling with each other. And you really see that activity really nicely with EEG in the sense of the, uh, how it looks in, in terms of the recordings, but it's not, so yeah, it would be really cool to have someone like uh, have sleep paralysis while uh, they're in a scanner and potentially even while they're hallucinating. I mean, that would be the dream, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. Really cool. <laughs> See that. And, and it should be doable. I mean, people do uh, seem to be able to induce these things on their own. Some people, I mean, we're talking about people that have it often and can can um, sort of self-induce it in some ways. And and through self, like sleep deprivation, you can also uh, have triggered in, 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 in various ways. So it is possible, but it's a, it's, Slightly tricky, but but possible. Are there people like what would be a regular frequency for someone to have this? Do you have them on a regular basis, or are they more just sporadic? Like, or are there some people who have them like every week, or or how how often does it happen? Oh yeah, yeah. So for me, it's it's sporadic, right? So I had that episode. I've had like you know one maybe once or twice a year. The uh, you know I'll have one you know randomly. Uh, but yeah, there are people that have them like seven, eight times a day. I've speak, I've spoken with people with really severe sleep paralysis. Oh my gosh! Have them, have them, yeah, yeah. So, so where it's really, really frequent, uh, and we've tried to apply various therapies to see if we can reduce it. So, definitely, you know, there there are people with with. Uh, okay, so in in some conditions, then it is almost like someone is probably wanting to figure out a way to work through this because it's actually maybe invasive in their life in a way that's like actually negatively impacting them. Absolutely. So it's pathological. It becomes a, what's called a parasomnia and that would be called reoccurrent isolated sleep paralysis. Uh, the technical term wow. meaning that they have, it's sort of disturbing their life and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, that is, is, that is very possible. And we did a study actually in patients with narcolepsy. So narcolepsy is this condition where you will, fall asleep during the day suddenly, right? And you can also just fall on the ground and be paralyzed uh, all of a sudden during, you know, normal daytime. So it's quite a terrifying uh, thing in a, in a way, right? It's very debilitating. And so people with narcolepsy uh, have typically sleep paralysis as one of their core symptoms. So they will have sleep paralysis very often. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, we did a study on them and we found that by using uh, a therapy that, that we, we've come up, that I developed, we were able to reduce sleep paralysis 
in, in the small patient group, it was a pilot by about 50% after eight weeks. Uh, and, and some of these people had sleep paralysis very frequently. And, and so, uh, you know, eight times, 10 times a day wow. you know, in, in some cases. Yeah, yeah. So for some people, it can be really, uh, uh, really, really, really uh, something really debilitating. But what I'll say is that it's interesting. You can have no sleep paralysis your entire life. And then suddenly you have one that's just life-changing. And that's what I find fascinating, right? So your entire life, there's no sleep paralysis, there's nothing. And then you're sleeping one day and boom, you're lying there paralyzed, yeah. unable to move, speak. And you see some demonic figure that just tra- you know transforms your transforms your entire life. Uh, and so I've had certainly have a lot, lot of those people that you know called me, uh, maybe people that were stern uh, atheists or something. And then they saw this and they, my God, what's going on? Right. I was human, what happened? <laughs> Well, Dr. Jalal, can you help me, you know? <laughs> uh, so we have that too. But th- I think that's really compelling, right? That you can have people with 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 these experiences that just uh, bothers them and, and are so surreal. So can we talk a little bit about what is actually happening? So even for somebody who just has it one time, can you walk us through what's going on in, in the mind or the body that's actually triggering this so people can understand in that moment that maybe, you know, that knowledge sometimes is power when you're having it happen? Absolutely. Especially in this case, I mean, it can be really helpful to know what's going on. So when we are sleeping, we go through different stages of sleep, right? So one of these, so stages one to four, just sort of, uh, you know, your body is slowly shutting down and then it goes into a stage where it sort of repairs itself. It's called slow wave sleep. And then you enter into the stage called REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. And during these, during the stage, you have vivid lifelike and crisp dreams. So these are very, very bizarre, strange dreams you have every night. Um, and these dreams are typically forgotten. So 95% of these dreams are, uh, you know, forget, for, forgotten by people. Uh, and they tend to be really strange. So you find yourself in all these uh, trans, you know, uh, you know, trans, you're transported into this world that's just bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. Places, people are warped. Everything is just warped. Now, occasionally you can wake up during uh, REM sleep. Now, mind you, you are paralyzed during uh, REM sleep where you have these dreams. And this is a mechanism of your body to prevent you from acting out your dreams and hurting yourself or your sleeping partner. So your, your <laughs> brain says, look, buddy, I'm going to, I'm going to paralyze this person. And so this occurs in the brain stem. So in the lower part of the brain, there's a system that paralyzes your entire body during dreams to par- So you so don't act, act out these uh, strange and bizarre dreams. Very good. Okay. Very good. All right. And then at the same time, you have a center of the, uh, of the brain that's responsible for wakefulness. And this is the cortical re- re- uh, regions. Uh, so in this neighborhood of the brain, you have sort of wakefulness, perception going on. Now, during sleep paralysis, what occurs is that your perceptual part of the brain, wakefulness part of the brain becomes activated, even though you are still physiologically in REM. So on the one hand, you are paralyzed in REM, you know, potentially dreaming in the REM phase. And then your brain, your, your cortical regions, your perceptual brain becomes prematurely activated so you end up with as we mentioned this blend of wakefulness perceptually wakefulness and then you know the paralysis of sleep and so when these two worlds clash you have this unique experience of sleep paralysis almost like augmented reality (laughs) as if i'm holding this world of dream over your eyes so you are awake but you have the dream world projected into your environment so that was that's what's so intriguing about sleep paralysis this 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 clash of of of, of worlds right one the subjective world of dreams where which is you know bizarre strange i mean think about it you have all these experiences uh that are you know 
hallucinations. You are every night you're hallucinating. These are hallucinations. Your brain are making up, you know, these these stories in your in your brain, right? They're, they're delusional. They're, they're, these uh, ideas are really strange and, and delusional. Things you wouldn't believe during wakefulness, right? So you can, you know, you can be Shakespeare in your dream, or you can be on the moon. Right. <laughs> uh, everything is crazy, right? But yet you have all these delusional thoughts. Uh, and you're demented as well, right? You have dementia, you forget them when you wake up. So you are in a strange and bizarre world and suddenly you have all that, you know, you know, spilling over into real life. So that's- I find it so fascinating. Like what an interesting part of reality that is this sort of combined. And I know like different works of fiction kind of talk about that space between like dreaming and reality and what is real and why aren't our dreams real or are they, you know, just as much a part of your brain doing something that's a normal function. So why is it? Um, I have a question though about sleepwalking. So obviously we're typically paralyzed. Is sleepwalking then a sort of it, does that happen during REM? And is it maybe also considered a disorder where you're, you are not paralyzed by accident? Yeah, great question. So sleepwalking, I often get that question because it's like related, mm-hmm. right? So what happens with people that jump out of bed and, you know, jolting themselves out of bed and jump out of the bed or just start sleepwalking and, and, and walk around in their house? And, you know, in some cases will start their car. I mean, this is known in the literature, mm-hmm. right? So they will start their car and drive while they're, you know, you know, sleeping. So very dangerous or jump yeah. up the balcony. In fact, my, my younger brother, he told me just recently that when he was a kid and my mom saw this, he was playing soccer on a roof. We were, we were sleeping on a roof. Uh, we we're back visiting uh, the Kurdish region of Iraq with my parents. I, I'm not sure if I was there, but we were, we were kids at the time. And he was went on to on the roof. We were sleeping there uh, because it's really hard in the summer. And so he started playing football while he was sleeping or something like that. So so really crazy. So so sleep sleepwalking. What's going on? So so sleepwalking occurs during one of the stages uh, called uh, well, it's not non REM sleep. Okay. So if REM is the stage where you're paralyzed, they can't move, you can't speak, then during non-REM, you can also tend to wake up and be aroused mentally and start uh, walking. So that is typically what's going on. It's, it's, it's one of those parasomnias, uh, arousal parasomnias, uh, meaning you wake up during the non-REM stage, you're not totally awake, but you're not obviously not lying, in, lying down right. anymore. And you- <laughs> Well, it's a really, it's a really creepy thing. There's other versions of this, you know, like there's a version of of, of so-called sleepwalking called sleep-related eating disorder, where the person will wake up and go to the kitchen. I've seen videos of this online. Yeah, food and like cut food and cut their fingers. Oh my god! <laughs> frozen foods and stuff. So yeah, it can be really terrifying i'm gonna tell you about something that happens to me and i'm curious if you will have you know had experiences like this or or have worked with patients or clients so i've experienced sleep paralysis a handful of times where yes i my mind or eyes open in my room but body is paralyzed and had sort of that scary experience but more often now that i've aged i call these night terrors because they're typically scary but not always where i will wake up and be in reality And I don't think that like sometimes I think I'm moving in bed, but I'll start to look around the room and see things that aren't necessarily there. Sometimes I this is so I think this is kind of embarrassing to admit, but I'll talk to things that are inanimate as though they are communicating with me, like even just the door. So and then I I'll remember it the next morning. But in that moment, it feels like really real, like I'm awake and uh, with my partner, Greg, like sometimes I'll wake up and be like, we got to get on the bus. And I'll see like a bus in our room. And then he'll be like, what? And suddenly it will be gone. And I realize, 
oh, and I like slowly go back to sleep. So it's, it's almost as though like I'm not always paralyzed, not that I'm moving around all the time, but there have been times when I've sort of gotten up and I thought I was talking to someone in the basement and just having these sort of like dreams in reality, seeing things that aren't necessarily there, but they feel very, very real and I can see them and I'm not dreaming because then when I snap out of it, I'm in that same space without those dream elements. Does that make sense? <laughs> It does make sense. So yeah, yeah. You, you know, you see, the thing is, uh, this world between uh, sleep and wakefulness. Sometimes there is that, you know, this this gap in a way where you can find yourself. And, and what you're talking about is called sleep um, uh, related hallucinations. So it's, okay. it's, 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 it's it can be conditioned, obviously, if you have it, you know, in a, in a uh, frequent chronic way. But you have it once in a while, so don't worry about that. <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's these uh, hip, uh, hypnagogic and hypnopompic hallucinations, medical term for for hallucinations that occur because you are in yeah you are at the interface between sleep and wakefulness, and so even though it's not technically sleep paralysis, it's not REM sleep that's paralyzing you and you're waking up. It's just non-REM. You know, it seems like mm-hmm. if you can move, it's non-REM, right? Yep. Uh, and so so you wake up during non-REM, but your brain is not fully uh, you know awake yet. And so what can happen is that. You know, centers of your brain uh, uh, can become prematurely activated. That 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 has to do with wakefulness, but yet you're sleeping, and so yeah, you have these hallucinations, and, and so people see bugs crawling on the wall. Yes, that is what it yeah. usually, it often has been. Will be like giant spiders, and maybe perhaps in some of these cases, I might be paralyzed and just I'm looking around, and I don't know. But it's often really scary things like that, and it maybe only lasts for a few seconds before I like jump and get out of bed, and then I'm fully awake, realizing. Cool. Well, absolutely. You don't have to have sleep paralysis. So you can have these hallucinations in the absence of like the sleep paralysis episode, just non during non-REM. And right. actually there's a, another one that's really quirky. It's called uh, exploding head syndrome. It's what? Really, <laughs> a really exotic name, right? But it's just you're lying there, in, you know, between wakefulness and sleep. And suddenly you hear this boom, this crash as if a plane just, you know, crashed in your backyard. You know, it's really terrifying. Yeah. Uh, it can be really terrifying. It's even shocking. And, you know, people will wake up often and think, oh, my God, I'm, you know, having some medical condition. And mm-hmm. so they will seek medical attention. I mean, it makes sense, right? If you hear like a bomb drop, dropping on you while you're sleeping, and it can sound like, like that. Terrifying, yeah. <laughs> terrifying, yeah, yeah. So you can have all of these things are, are really, really interesting in terms of, various uh, you know experiences you can have uh, dissociation out of body experiences so I've seen a copy of myself hovering over me Balan a copy of Balan <laughs> and having this conversation you know and typically the conversation is who's the real Balan you know the, the guy up there or the one here so we're sort of debating that you know and you can get hostile obviously we both want to claim the identity right the and the reason by the way this occurs is that uh you know the sense of self the sense of i me the land being anchored in this body is something that the brain creates right so there's centers in the brain uh typically around this area okay so it pulls information from different sensory modalities like vision seeing touch you know tactile mm-hmm. sensations and it creates a sense of you so in that structure and during REM sleep and some of these phases, you know, that part of the brain will not work as it as it should, right? So it go out of whack. And because of that, 
uh, you know, you will have, you can, your sense of self will be disrupted and you see a copy of yourself potentially, or you're, you can just, you can have an out-of-body experience where you leave your body and walk around. And yeah, it has to do with the bizarre world of, of, of sleep where, where the brain is, is compromised in these ways. Yeah. It even makes me think of, and I don't know if you do any research or touch on lucid dreaming, where it is another angle of that element of being self-aware in a dream, like sort of breaking that reality where suddenly you're realizing you're dreaming but you're not waking up and so you can maybe control your dreams or at least experiencing them in a more visceral way that's memorable absolutely so lucid dreaming uh is it can occur during sleep paralysis hence my 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 interest in that and the research we've done so people can have lucid experiences during sleep paralysis and the reason is really that if sleep paralysis is your mental uh sensorial system waking up while you're in REM in a way, uh, lucid dreaming is 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 your mental, uh, you know, part of the brain becoming activated while you're s- still safely sleeping, so to speak, right? So think of it this way: there's frontal regions. So in the region, so human beings are very proud of this frontal region. Mm-hmm. It's the head office, right? It's the CEO of the brain. Everything yes. is controlled there, you know, our thought, decision-making, logic, and stuff. Now, in in that structure, you have, you have a region called the DLPPCs, which is a sh- fancy name for a structure where we put the world together in the logical, serial type of way. Now, you know, that part of the brain, uh, when it turns, uh, so during dreams, it's turned off. It doesn't work as it should. And that's why dreams are logical. Mm-hmm. You see everything is just messed up. That's the reason. That part of the brain goes to sleep. In fact, people that have damage to that region of the brain will have intact dreams, even though they're totally compromised during the day. Hmm. They have brain damage. But their dreams are just like you and I, like our dreams. So it shows you this part is really responsible for for the illogical nature of dreams, mm-hmm. right? But occasionally, while you're dreaming and in your sleep, bed sleeping and dreaming, uh, that logical part of the brain, the self-awareness part of the brain, right, self-agency part of the brain will become activated, you know, prematurely. And so you will become like a wakeful person, but but still dreaming. And so you will typically have the ability to, to know that you're dreaming and sometimes even be able to, uh, you know, manufacture your own dreams, like right? create your own wonderlands, do whatever you want, you know, fly and stuff yes. like that. Yes. <laughs> I've been lucky enough to have a few of those times too. I know some people, I guess, like try and actively pursue lucid dreaming and see it as a means to even maybe just have fun or maybe think about and spend the nighttime doing things they wish they could be thinking about or doing. Um, I'm curious, back to sort of like sleep paralysis, but just the neuroscience of sleep and that intersection between wake and sleep, what your take is on what can we learn from it and should we is it for you is it mostly just interest-based like what is happening or do you think there's a place for us to learn about these moments and see them as opportunities or you know some people take lucid dreaming as an opportunity to do things interesting that they could not do in the real world or to spend more time thinking about things they don't have time to think about in the normal world i'm curious if you think Oh, on the one hand, it's just like a bit of an aberration or a result of our evolutionary biology. And so it's just there. Or if there's if it's for something, not for something else, but you know what I mean? If there's another way to contextualize it. Absolutely. It's a great question. And, and there's multiple ways to sort of think about it. I think lucid dreamings, dreams per se, uh, does give you that creativity, allow you to sort of take items and objects into the world and sort of play with them in a, world, in a way that you not normally wouldn't. Right, because you have the 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 the, um, the fabric of reality of dreams, which is all sort of is it's very lucid, it's it's very um, fluid, so to speak. Right, you have that, and at the same time, you have the logical ability of the of your brain to sort of 
to do things. So I think it's important for creativity, creativity and could spark creativity. So that part is there. Um, in terms of dreams overall, dreams do have a function in, I think, just in terms of allowing you to, uh, so, okay, so when you are wakeful, uh, you have you are more focused and you have very narrow logical thinking, right? So when you are in, dream, in the dream world, on the other hand, your brain will wander more. It will be more because of the CEO being uh, weakened, right? Because it cannot sort of dampen and mm-hmm. su- it's, the logic is suppressed, right? And so it allows for more creativity and test new ideas and, and be more sort of open in that way. And so I think it's important for creativity. Uh, I think that's that would be the the, the key uh, take home message. Um, and also, I you know think about it in this way too. Like during dreams, you almost dress rehearse for real life. So you run scripts, you run scenarios, right, in your mind of, of things of future events. And if even if it's not exactly those events, similar events that you know that will lay down circuits that are useful for when you encounter similar situations in your life so it does have these these benefits um and and, and certainly i would say for my own let me give you my own subjective point of view because i remember as a kid like as a kid growing up in a as i mentioned a tough neighborhood and stuff like that my dream uh i wanted to i always wanted to see myself flying I wanted to fly, right? That was my big, you know, like Peter Pan's be able to fly. So just leave my, you know, my my the the the, the place where I was living at and just being able to sort of go roam all over the place and, and just do that. And so I would tell myself each night, and mind you, I didn't know anything about lucid dreams. I, I was a kid, I was very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would tell myself, okay, when you dream, remind yourself that you are in a dream and and do things and and you know explore the world of dreams. I would say this every night and every night. And then one day it just happened. I realized my God, I'm I'm dreaming and I know that I'm dreaming. And I started to run and I and I started to fly. And this experience was had a great impact on me. I mean, it was a dream, but I was a kid and, and I saw these landscapes beneath me, like green landscapes. And I felt like, my God, the, the heaven here that I'm sort of flying around the skies is almost like the Sistine Chapel. Beautiful, right? I'm, I'm here. And, and, and it just had a very liberating and emotionally uh, positive impact on me. And it just, uh, you know, for me, it was a reminder that in life, you know, stuff are possible that you can, you can do things if you really want, you can, you can achieve things. And for me, that was, had that meaning as, as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. So, and so I visceral can, too, to stick with you for so long. It's very to this day, I have that, you know, memory of, of, of that very, very uh, compelling dream. So, well, so I wonder yeah. as somebody who, yeah, thinks about and studies sleep so often and, you know, sleep is such a huge part of our lives, and yet it's often sort of relegated to the side, and everyone wishes that they could sleep as little as possible so that they could be more productive. Do you feel that you have a different sort of perspective on waking life versus sleeping life? And, um, you know, I think there's like a sometimes a conversation around, especially from like the sort of philosophical point we identify so strongly with our conscious thought and with our logical thinking and yet we experience these other forms for potentially eight hours a night you know not that we're dreaming for that amount of time but where our brains are going through so many other things as somebody who's in this field has it changed the way you think about who you are and who people are in general yeah it does it does it does change. I mean, I pay more attention to my dreams. I, I, I analyze my dreams. I try to make sense of them. Like, you know, for example, I give an example. I, I was, I had one dream that I, where I was having a conversation with some, somebody in my dream, 
right? And it was a really meaningful conversation. And I was like, my God, who's this? Who am I having a conversation with, right? Why is it so meaningful? And then he told me a joke and I started to laugh. And I, I laughed so hard, you know, that I woke myself up from laughter. <laughs> but then I, then I thought about it as a scientist. I said, look, if this guy is a projection of myself, in fact, he is myself and I'm having this conversation with him. And so who am I having a meaningful conversation with? Who is this person that I'm connect with, connecting with? And then if he's telling me a joke and I find it funny, a joke's only funny when you don't know the joke. I mean, that's the whole purpose. It mm-hmm. has a story plot and there's a punchline, right? And if you know the punchline, the joke's not funny anymore, right? The tension is yep. sort of no longer there. So was I suppressing the information of the joke to make it funny to me, right? In order to, to sort of have a dialogue with me, what's going on? How, does the brain have all these layers of complexity? Or what about dreams within dreams? So I have had those where I was in a dream and then... I realized, my God, I'm, I'm dreaming. But then, oh, it, this was actually a different dream. So it's like when different layers. Ah, I always inception. <laughs> right? It was real life inception going on. And, and how, how can you, like what circuits are, are being activated? What's going on? Or I have dreams. So I have a certain dream at, at point A. And then three weeks, so I forget about it, right? And then three weeks later, I'll have the same dream sort of reoccur, but I forgot about it as, as if your brain is all, is only remembering your, your dream within another dream. Like there's a circuitry for dreams. So yeah, this whole thing, I do certainly think about it and uh, it does make me, you know, ask all these, these questions. Is there any research that you want to do yourself or in an ideal world, if you could capture and collect anything, like what is it about whether it's sleep paralysis or just sleep in general that you wish you slash the human race could understand more about? Oh, it's, it's, it's a good question. Um, oh, there's so many things. I mean, it's, it's a tough for me to like pin yeah, down. Yeah, like, sure. what, <laughs> but like, like things that we're, that we're thinking about doing, for example, uh, with my colleagues are things like, uh, so imagine, uh, so what is time perception like in dream, right? So in dreams, so when you're dreaming, is is and you're lying there sleeping um is time slowed down like is is or is it is, is it is it is it faster than than real life how do you perceive time so example could be if i'm walking right uh, if i'm dreaming and i'm having this dream and i'm sort of walking in the in the forest right so this is my dream mm-hmm. and uh, and and then somebody would know the scientists would know that you're walking in your dream or at least you're dreaming and then they would pour water on you right so they would pour water on you and, and wake you up the question would be now, if you were to wake up, would you report that I was dreaming and then a tsunami hit me of water? Mm. Or would you go like, oh, no, I was walking in the forest and then the clouds came out. I took up my, you know, my umbrella came mm-hmm. out and then the water, you know, and, and then the, it started to rain. The question is, how how do you, con- like, how is the, how do you perceive, how do you create time in your dream? So mm-hmm. that's, that's an interesting question because, and this is the point here as well, we do know that, uh, Outside influences can, you know, uh, influence and infiltrate your dreams. So if you're sleeping in a cold room, you might feel like, oh my God, I'm, I'm in a, you know, in the winter in, in Toronto, mm-hmm. for example. You know, it's cold. You know, <laughs> Don't <it's>, remind me. <laughs> exactly right. So, so you could have that, or if you are, if you're, if there's some smoke, uh, you know, outside from a grill, somebody's grilling outside some barbecue, right? And then you're smoking. Uh, the, the smoke is coming inside your window. You might dream that you are in a fire or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, so we do know that 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 external forces can infiltrate your dream. But the question is, how do you incorporate these things into your narrative? And how does it influence the fabric of reality, including things like time? 
um, yeah, so these are all questions. Or somebody with OCD, for example, will he see nightmares of himself washing hands over and over? Mm. And what's the content of dreams? So all of these things are, not, you know, some of these questions are not known. I'll tell you this: during COVID, it turned out people had a lot of nightmares around uh, wash, you know, washing mm-hmm. excessively and, and things like that. So, so what about people with social anxiety? Do they see themselves having nightmares? Is that a recurrent, you know, recurring theme? Uh, so all of these, are, there's a lot of interesting questions in science that, that uh, you know, that are interesting. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And I know you brought up earlier that you had sort of invented or created a technique, especially for sleep paralysis, I think in general. Was it called meditation relaxation therapy? I think I looked that up properly. <laughs> um, do you think that's sort of, not that there has to be an end goal for your work, but in some ways, is it to understand the mind and then, you know, work towards solutions that can sort of help people, especially in these scenarios where these, you know, quote unquote, conditions might be intruding in their lives? Yeah, it's a great question. So for me, I think there's two elements. One element is the, the, the theoretical, like what's going on in the brain? You know, why do people hallucinate? So this is a great interest of mine. Why would somebody see a ghost? Why is it faceless? Right? Why do people see faceless shadows? Right? I mean, why would why why doesn't the brain create a face all mm-hmm. the time? I hallucinate that. So that I have theories about, you know, and, and, and so that's on the one end, like all the theoretical, interesting stuff. And then on the other hand is the clinical applications. How do we help people with these conditions? And how can we create like really simple therapies that people can use in their daily life in the most simplest of ways? And that's how the uh, meditation relaxation therapy came in. You know, I thought, look, you're lying there. In fact, I was lying there. This came from my own experience. So I was lying there having sleep paralysis. And I went, look, I'm I'm sleeping. Okay, so this is one, I'll tell you this. During one of the first, so during one occasion, I was lying and sleeping during sleep paralysis. And I said, I wanted to test my uh, ghost theories in a way, right? I thought, what what happened if I try to imagine a, the presence of a ghost? So activating mental imagery. So it but I, I just couldn't do it out of fear. So that I did, I wasn't able to complete. But, you know, from these seconds of awareness, I, I simply thought, well, look, we can, re- we can uh, really sort of intervene and do something. If you are awake for, for seconds to minutes, well, then you have cognition and you can potentially do something about that. And, and so I started to play around with these ideas and test it on myself and then eventually on, on patients and things like that. So, yeah, started with myself and then. Yeah, I mean, the best place to start <laughs> to just experiment on yourself, especially if you're experiencing it firsthand. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. No, that, that's definitely true. I have a random question that's related to myself. Do you think that because I, I did a sleep test maybe a year or two ago where you go in and you get all the stuff stuck on you and you have to sleep in this place and did find out that I have a mild sleep apnea. And I've noticed any oftentimes when I have these sort of um, night terrors or sleep paralysis, it, it does come with like my heart racing and sometimes out of breath. And I've been wondering if maybe those are connected, like perhaps I'm also out of breath because I stopped breathing for a, a few moments or for a minutes at, at a time. And maybe those connect that like bi- biological response connects to what's happening in the brain, which makes me have a fear response, which potentially ties into these other things. I didn't know if that has ever been connected through research or not. It's a good question. So breathing is elevated during REM sleep. So if you have anything, so breathing is automatic and it's elevated. And that's why, in fact, you feel like something is crushing on your chest during sleep paralysis when you try to control your breath. So if mm. you try to control your breath and, and there's an automatic thing, like an automatic pump going boom, 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 it's automatic, 
then that respirate you're sort of interfering with the natural mm. respiration uh so so that could account for 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 that um and yes certainly like things like when you have sleep apnea and breathing issues that can cause anxiety and that can feed into sort of fear you know activating a, a what we call a sympathetic response a fear response leading to an elevated heart rate uh you know sweating fear panic so all these yeah do certainly go go hand in hand and 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 yeah that's what i say look sleep paralysis forget sleep paralysis or any of these sort of terrifying fear inducing conditions they come with they come with panic right and that panic feeds back to the brain and that's the i guess one big issue and a, a key part of my research what we're finding is, is is the more that you fear it and the more you have panic you know fear and panic will then taint and color the way you see the world and potentially even your hallucinations and so it becomes this this uh vicious loop and yeah let me illustrate let me illustrate this with a little Lisa example, because this, if there's anything in my research, you asked me about my research earlier uh, on the sleep paralysis part, and is there anything about my research that has been most sort of surprising or the punchline of, of much of what I've done is this idea that culture in a way, uh, your fears and beliefs around sleep paralysis can impact it in a profound, you know, major way. Meaning, so we compared like cultures such as Italy, like Italy and Egypt, where people have fearful, exotic uh, understandings of sleep paralysis. So sleep paralysis, as we mentioned, is like a witch or like a giant, like a, you know, like a uh, uh, demon or something like that versus a place like Denmark, where people see the stress or anxiety. Hmm. Now, if you live in that culture with that, all that exotic stuff, the fear stuff, what happens is that that will then make you more likely to experience sleep paralysis. And, and so if, if you're told by your grandmother, your, little, your name is little Lisa, you're told by your grandmother, this ghost will come at night, attack you, choke you, suffocate, all this stuff will happen. You go to bed, you haven't had sleep paralysis before in your entire life, but now your brain is primed to actually look for uh, sensations of paralysis, wake yourself up during paralysis, and then you will you will potentially hallucinate the cultural stuff that has been you know you know you know put in your mind, right? And so then you wake up the next day, you interpret that in the light of your culture. So my culture says it's a, in a you know demo, in a demonic thing. You become even more terrified and anxious, which then leads you to have more sleep paralysis and. That is so fascinating. That is so, I mean, it makes sense once you say it like that, but it is so interesting to think about how, how much there's like these sometimes subtle, sometimes not as subtle, like underground cultural, cultural implications that can impact us even while we're sleeping. Um, and even while we're in this weird in-between version of sleeping, um, it's so interesting to think, like you said, in Copenhagen, it's seen as more of a stress response. Um, and I, I guess that is sort of a means to an end as well in terms of therapy to know, okay, there is a way maybe to minimize the impact of it if you can disassociate the fear from what is happening. Like if you understand, hey, this is just a normal biological thing that happens sometimes. There is not a demon. I am not under major threat other than just having a dream. Then maybe it's not so bad. Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the thing, right? So there's two elements. Element one is the cognitive mental piece. So you tell yourself it's not dangerous, it's not terrifying. So you correct that through a sort of a, what we call a top-down correction. You're your mind is telling you, you know, yourself that it's not terrifying. So that, that intellectual element. And then there's the physiological response where if you sort of, so that's the part of the therapy, you meditate, you sort of try to push yourself into a relaxed state, even though all this is going on. And then that can potentially break some of these cycles of fear and autonomic arousal and, you know, panic. That's natural. It's part of, it's almost like, you know, 
meditating in the middle of like a very stressful work situation. Mm -hmm. So you teach your body not to become aroused and fearful. And so, and and then in turn, that fear will not project back to the brain. So we're trying to cut all these, you know, uh, vicious cycles that could lead to the worsening of sleep paralysis. So I've definitely thought about all these things and, 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 and find ways to sort of get around them by, by, <laughs> by this therapy. So Definitely. Wow. Well, this has been so interesting. I wonder, as just a final question, is there anything that, you know, through your research or through studying sleep paralysis that we haven't touched on that you find really fascinating or feel that we should talk about before we go? Or, you know, sometimes I'm I'm just thinking like, oh, gosh, there's probably so much I don't even know to ask. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You've you've been great. You asked really, really good questions, very insightful questions. Uh, So I love that. Uh, Is there anything... No, I mean, here you are lying safely. So yeah, I guess this would be the final part probably would be like to think about here you're lying safely in your bed, seemingly right, sleeping. And then suddenly there's this this ghost in front of you. You're terrified, right? You, you, you're you scared. It's out of world, sort of eerie, uh, bizarre, surreal experience. And then potentially through that and the fear uh, you know, associated with that, you could potentially even develop some kind of trauma because you're seeing that and your brain is telling you it's dangerous, mm-hmm. dangerous, it's terrifying. And our some of our data, our research really uh, seems to suggest that, you know, you could potentially even develop a mental illness out of this. So let me give you a concrete example of this. So my colleague uh, in Boston, he, he looked at people who were, you know, in, understood sleep paralysis as space alien abduction. And when he measured their physiological responses, like sweating and things like that, you know, when they were, you know, in, you know, hearing video, the audio recording of their own uh, you know, stories of what, what happened during their sleep paralysis or their uh, sleep, uh, space alien uh, abduction stories, what their understanding mm-hmm. of it, you know, their, their physiolo- physiology was as reactive and as intense as somebody who came back from war, somebody with actual wow. PTSD. So it shows you that potentially these experiences can be traumatic, potentially, and could lead to things like anxiety and, and depression, which our, uh, our data also seems to su- suggest. So, you know, your lying sleep, your, your brain, your brain can be very imaginative and mm-hmm. potentially lead you to, to, you know, if you're not really, you know, uh, doing something about it early on. And, and so, yeah, the mind can be a very uh, interesting place, but it can take you in dangerous directions. If you're mm-hmm. not careful. Uh, uh, yeah. The, the human brain is vastly more mysterious than I ever thought before going into, you know, neuroscience. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it brought up one more question for me as well is, do you, you know, because often certain mental illnesses and things can be genetic. Do you, have you found a link? I am only thinking out loud about this because I know my dad has, when we were younger, described similar experiences. And only as I learned about later in life, sleep paralysis and these kind of things that I have, I'm realizing, oh, he would wake up and see a man at the end of his bed. And he always told this story of how traumatizing and scary it was. And he woke up my mom and she was like, there's nothing there. What are you talking about? Um, do you think, or have you seen that it's genetic at all? Or are there certain trends of the people who tend to have these types of experiences happen to them? It's a great question. So absolutely, there seems to be a genetic factor. It tends, it tends to run in families. And there seems to be a, g- a gene that has to do with the sleep-wake cycle. So if your sleep-wake cycle is out of whack, mm-hmm. then, you know, genetically, and that's what you see in narcolepsy too, right? Um, so there is a genetic, there's a genetic component, it seems, uh, but we, we need to do more research. But people that are anxious, people who are stressed out, so hyper-stressed. <laughs> Me! <laughs> 
So people that have sort of stress and anxiety and things that would cause sleep to become fragmented. Mm -hmm. So think about it this way. So if you're sleep, you're going through these cycles every night, right? You go non-REM stages, one, two, three, four, then you go to REM, right? If you have anything that can cause you to sort of tilt out of REM prematurely and activate, you know, something that ar- you know causes arousal to your mental mind, so you sort of decouple REM from weight. So you have this decoupling going on. So everything was substance abuse, obviously alcohol, all these things that fragment REM mm-hmm. can push you out and, and lead you to have sleep paralysis, uh, trauma, things like that uh, definitely can lead you to. And, and when I go travel, if I go on a lecture tour, anything like that, and I'm in a, you know, my sleep is slightly messed up, yep. you know, I'm not end up with a uh, sleep it's paralysis. more likely. Huh. I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I never really, because it happens intermittently enough for me, I, for, intermittently enough for me, I've never really tracked, but I feel like I should keep a journal and then, you know, associate the things, what is happening around the times, because it might just be, maybe I'm really stressed, maybe I haven't been getting sleep, maybe I've been drinking or, you know, not really realizing the things that can impact it. I know I said this was the last question a a moment ago, but I actually, it just made me really curious, even for my own personal self about the therapies, like you mentioned, and it sounds like it's around that sort of relaxation, particularly if it seems to be more anxious people having these kinds of episodes. You you found success in, you know, just focusing more on, you know, that a meditative state, being relaxed, not being as, you know, stimulated, because I feel like anxious people are always overly stimulated by things. Is that is that the direction of the therapy? I think so. Yeah. So in terms of the the, 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 the sleep paralysis therapy that, that I've developed, exactly. That is the, the idea, right? So it's, the, so it has the element of the first, when you have sleep paralysis that we say to, to patients, don't uh, close your eyes, right? Try to close your eyes to avoid any distractions and then tell yourself, so this is the cognitive mental part, tell yourself it's merely sleep paralysis, mm. right? And then we say, and as well, emotionally distance yourself from it by telling yourself, well, look, since it's just sleep paralysis, there's no reason to be terrified and fearful. Right. So we have that emotional component. And then the key part is the uh, meditative attentional focus part where you focus all your mind on something extremely positive. Mm. So this is an element that's known in therapy that is used emotion centeredness. So I think, you know, with my entire mental focus on, I don't know, my mother's face or whatever it could be. Right. Mm-hmm. So you think about that. And the idea is to sort of your attention is scarce. Attention is a scarce commodity in your brain. And so you recruit all the attention away from all the negative, fearful stuff. And then that what it does is it potentially can redirect your brain, you know, into a more positive state than 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 you know, then the danger part, then, you know, and then finally we say, don't try to move. This is the fourth step. Don't try to act out the paralysis. And I'll tell you why. Now, this is very interesting. The reason is when you are paralyzed in REM sleep and you try to move, we believe that that can mess up your body image or the sense of self centers in the brain. So I mentioned in this part of the brain, you create a sense of self, right? Mm -hmm. So when you try to move during uh, REM sleep and during sleep paralysis, your brain will send commands to your body, move, balance, move, move, get out of here, right? And what it usually does, it CCs sort of like copy an email. You CCs this part of the brain and says, look, look here, look, buddy, create a sense of balance based on the information that will now come back from my limbs and my body, mm-hmm. right? So that's how I normally create a sense of self. I move my arms from A to B in space and mm-hmm. information goes back to this region and says, oh, Balan is out here in space. Yep. This is how I'm being created. But during sleep paralysis, you're sending all these commands, move, 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 but there's no feedback, feedback coming back to that part of the brain. So what it does, 
like Google autocorrection, it will fill in the blank for you, we believe. So oh it sort of gosh. goes, oh, since there's no, we can't see any leg moving, there's no feedback, let's just create, let's create that sensation. Or let's create a sensation of your body floating out in space. Ah. So your sense of self gets all messed up. That, is that clear? Yes. I just want to shout technical on you, but basically what you're doing by sending all this feedback mm -hmm. to move, but no feedback coming back, telling your brain how to move, your brain goes into a panic state and it hates these sort of, incongruent situations and sort of fills in the blank for you uh and and so we say don't try to move don't try to do any kind of movement just relax right and just so kind of like wait till it passes just know that know what it is and that it you know wait till it's gone <laughs> very eloquently put exactly so you do these steps and then uh then for hopefully it could, it could be helpful. So, so definitely, definitely. Wow. Well, I'm sure there are a handful of many people listening to this who've experienced it. Hopefully no one who has it too much, but if they do now, that is something, that's something I'm going to try. You know, I might be a little embarrassed to admit this, but I a, am an anxious person and B I'm like, I think I'm a little bit like afraid of the dark. And sometimes I feel spooked at night. And I think maybe that leads to those moments of if you're going to bed and you're a little anxious or a little afraid, maybe it's more likely to happen. And I feel that, it's more likely for me when my partner's not here because I feel like there's a sort of safety when you're with somebody else. I know there's lots of studies on, you know, whether you sleep with somebody or alone, sometimes separate can even be better because you're, you know, not being bothered. But for me, I find like that, that comfort of knowing nothing can really be dangerous if there's somebody else here or if my dog's in the room with me or something like that, I feel a lot better as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that makes sense in terms of the safety element. Uh, you know, that, 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 you know, if you have anxiety and fear, and if you can sort of uh, buffer that by 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 having somebody in your room uh, with you, certainly that that is uh, that could be a bit of a buffer. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a buffer, right? Uh, whether it's your dog or whatever it is, right? So having something to to make sure that you don't feel alone. And, and the, yeah, I've I've had interesting cases, you know, uh, of sleep paralysis. But one that's interesting is is the idea of people sleeping with their lights on. That's hmm. fascinates me that people go that far, right? So yeah, for years. We'll say for 20 years, I always had the light on so the demon wouldn't come. Wow. Oh, my God. So That's so unreal. I well, Dr. Jalal, thank you so much for taking time to chat to us about all this. It's so fascinating. I am um, just everything about it makes me so curious. I feel like there's still so much for humans to figure out about sleep and our brains and how they work. And it's really, really awesome to get to chat to somebody who's sort of on the cutting edge of learning those things. So I really appreciate you being on the podcast. I it was very fun. My pleasure. Awesome. Well, where can people check you out if they want to follow you or see more of your work? Yeah. So I'm in, on Instagram, Balanjalal. I'm on YouTube, uh, maybe Dr. Balanjalal or something, but on <laughs> Instagram, on, on YouTube, a little bit on Facebook. So yeah, th those channels are be the easiest. Amazing. Well, thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's podcast and we will see you all next week. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.